0: morning. So we're going through the the Sermon on the Mount as you know and today I hope you don't regret coming to church. We're going to be talking about freedom from anger. And I think it's it's really significant that as we as we go through the Sermon on the Mount and as Jesus is talking, he builds us up. He tells us all these ways we can be blessed in the beatitudes. He tells us we're the salt of the earth, we're the light of the world. And then the next thing he says is, oh, yeah, by the way, I don't like anger at all. So let's just pray and get into God's word right away. Father, we humble our hearts before you, Lord, and we thank you that you, you know all things. We thank you that it is for freedom that you have set us free, that we are no longer slaves to fear. God, that we can, we can know you. And we can know your love, and therefore, God, you will cast out all fear. Lord, you will bring freedom to each and every one of our hearts. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would just be released this morning to work into the hearts of those who are bound by anger and, and hopeless and feeling like they can't be delivered from it. You are a delivering God. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, you are always faithful. You have never failed us yet, in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many, how many of you feel like you struggle with anger? You don't need to raise your hand. <laughs> you know who I'm talking to. I think after today, I think each one of us is going to recognize areas in our lives. I think it's, it's significant that, that after the Lord builds us up and tells us who we are, the very next thing he says is talking about being angry. And I think it's because this is one of the most debilitating sins for the body of Christ and for believers. And, there are, and, it, and it hides itself in so many different forms. So let's just go to Matthew 5 21. It says, You have heard our ancestors were told, you must not murder. Right? That makes sense. It's one of the Ten Commandments. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. So Jesus, whenever he says, You've heard it said, He follows it with, but I say. He always takes it to the next level. He says, I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple or worship, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on your way to court with your adversary, notice it's your adversary. It's somebody who's your enemy. It says, if you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you paid the last penny. So you can see, we can kind of justify our anger a lot of times. But Jesus is saying, no, it's as bad as murder. And so I'm going to tr- talk today about anger. I'm going to kind of focus really on that that first section there. Um, And I'm going to get into the the part about reconciling, but I I have to say this could be a series. This could be a long series. There is so much to be said in the Bible about anger. I mean, there's righteous anger and then there's rage and, you know, all kinds of different forms of anger. So we're going to talk about what anger is and what the Bible says about it and some of the different forms of anger and how to be reconciled and how to be delivered from anger. First of all, uh, the definition of anger says a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. Sounds about right, huh? Kind of sums it up. Webster defines anger as a feeling of displeasure resulting from injury, mistreatment, opposition, etc., and usually showing itself in a desire to fight back at the supposed cause of this feeling. So my question for you is, first of all, is the Lord already work, working in your heart in this area of anger because I do think, you know, as we go on into the sermon on the mount and we talk about a lot of other issues, not every issue is going to apply to us directly, but I really believe that anger is one of those things that is part of the human condition. And, and it's an emotion that leads to an action. And so I feel like when the Lord has our hearts fully, when he knows exactly what's in our hearts and we've surrendered completely to him, he can set us free from that. So what are some ways that anger is demonstrated? This is the time where you can tell me what, tell me some ways, how is anger demonstrated? None of you have a problem with Okay, road rage, that's an obvious one, yep. What else? Certain gestures that people can make like this one, I love you, (laughs) right, as you're on the road, love you, do that next time, when you're tempted to do a different one, just do that one, it's I-L-Y, I love you, okay, next, Grant, oh, (laughs) that one I've never done, actually, (laughs) what else, what else, how else do we demonstrate anger, slander against other people what else I'm sorry shouting silent treatment that's a horrible one what else yep giving someone stink eye as they say in Hawaii stink eye what else yeah yeah I guess jealousy jealousy probably leads to anger what else Yeah, name-calling. Okay, so as you can see, there's a lot of different forms. Also, um, just impatience, frustration, physical violence, avoiding people, complaining, grumbling. These are all forms of of anger. They're actions that anger leads up to. It's the emotion of anger that leads to these particular actions. Some people claim that anger is a secondary emotion to like feeling afraid or feeling hurt or powerless or offended or stressed or disrespected or belittled or forced into something or trapped or controlled. A lot of people think that anger is a secondary emotion, and I think that it can be, but I think that it's a primary emotion because Jesus talks about it so clearly. And in many homes, the one that I was raised in, for example, anger was about the only Emotion that was ever really demonstrated. We just didn't really demonstrate emotion until you got fed up to here, and then, <clears throat> then it came out. Um, some of the some of the forms of anger. I'm, I'm not going to get too much into the psychology of it, but let me just say there is an awful lot. I mean, I I can't even tell you how many articles I read. There's the five forms of anger and the seven types of anger and the 12 types of anger and da, 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 da. But in psychology today, they talk about chronic anger, which is a prolonged anger. This is just like a lifestyle anger. And this one can legitimately impact your immune system. This one is the one that can affect your health if you leave it unchecked, if you don't deal with it. And it can also lead to mental disorders. That's how serious this chronic anger can be. Judgmental anger, which is directed toward others and may come out with feelings of, like you were saying earlier, resentment, jealousy, slander, gossip. Then there's volatile anger which this is, I think, the first one that most of us think of. When we think of anger, we think of this volatile, like, fits of rage and people throwing things and yelling and screaming. It involves uh, sometimes spontaneous bouts of excessive or violent anger. Then there are other forms of anger that are not quite as out there. Passive anger, which doesn't always come across as anger and can be kind of difficult to identify. I confess I used to be the queen of passive anger. I uh, kind of thought I was... I thought that I was a little bit self-righteous. And I'm going to talk later about external anger and internalized anger. Externalized and internalized. Eric was externalized and I was internalized. And so I'm going to expose myself more than him because he can't defend himself. But I was... He would have these fits of anger, and he would, you know, do things and say things, and then he would come back immediately, and he would apologize. But I would just kind of sit there smugly, because I didn't do that. My anger was a passive anger, so I would demonstrate it in ways like passive aggression. I I repented for that, not that I don't still probably do it, but... But I just I could see the damage that it did in my relationship. So even though it's passive, even though it's not violent and it's not out there, it can still be very subtle. It can come through little cutting remarks, through little put-downs, through little slights, through maybe, um, say, for example, um, delaying uh, getting somewhere that you don't really want to go. Like, say, for example... Um, Say, for example, your, your spouse ticks you off and they want to get in the car and get to church and so they're sitting in the car waiting for you and you just take your time. Just kind of, just wait. Maybe I need another drink of water or maybe I think I should change my necklace. I think I should wear the other one. You see how this passive anger, and then the spouse that's sitting in the car is like really ticked off. Then they become impatient and angry at you, and then you get in the car, and you're like, well, why are you so angry? We're going to church. You shouldn't be so angry, you know? For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. But that passive anger, it provokes. It provokes people to other kinds of anger. There's the anger that's overwhelmed anger, which is caused by life's demands that are too much on you, frustration. This is, this is for me, one of those, if I can't find something, oh my goodness, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a wreck. That is when I get so angry. If I'm looking for something, I just become so frustrated, and my poor kids, they were like, oh, as soon as, when they were, when they were little, if I said, hey, has anybody seen my, whatever, they all just ran, (laughs) because they knew I was going to be so angry, there's also self-inflicted anger, which is usually directed toward oneself, and it's usually caused because of shame or guilt or even by feelings of, of grief or, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Regret. You have certain regrets, and so you, you internalize it, and, you, and it becomes self-directive. And then there is the last kind of anger that is called righteous anger or righteous indignation. And I think we, we use that term a little too flippantly, but the Bible is really clear. God was angry and God's perfect. I even read this morning, um, I was reading in Isaiah 12 and it said, Lord, you were angry with me, but you turned toward me. And that's why I sing praise, and that's why I worship. And so I was thinking about I was thinking, wow, if God is perfect and he's angry, then all anger can't be bad. And so I'm going to talk a little bit today about um, righteous indignation. It's usually a reactive emotion of anger over some kind of a mistreatment or an insult or malice against, not usually against oneself, but against someone else. And it's kind of in defense of another who can't defend themselves, or even an animal, and it's um, it appeals to our sense of injustice. I think that's when we tend to have this righteous anger. So, what does the Bible say about anger? It says a lot about anger. So, well, first, we're going to talk about the externalized <clears throat> Proverbs fourteen. I mean, I can't even tell you how many proverbs there are about anger. It says, "People with understanding control their anger, but a hot temper shows great." foolishness. Proverbs fifteen one. a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. The NIV says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How many of us could use this particular scripture when we're getting, Eric and I used to call it um, intense fellowship, <laughs> other words, fighting. So when you are in the heat of that discussion to remember the truth of God's word. God's word is true, and when it says that if you give a gentle answer, it will turn away wrath, but a harsh word, it's just like throwing gasoline on that fire, and it just, it'll just cause it to just ignite. You guys are so quiet today. You're thinking about somebody else, huh? Somebody down that you wish they were here today. You wish they were listening to this message. You're thinking about you? Thanks for your honesty, Steve. Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered person starts fights. Uh, Or uh, an angry man provokes others to anger, but a cool-tempered person stops them. The cool-tempered person is kind of like the wet blanket over the fire. They just remain cool. And now this is... I'm not talking about like what I was saying about getting in the car when you've already made your spouse angry and you're being passively angry. I'm talking about legitimately having the self-control, the control of the Holy Spirit, rather than letting your flesh take over and and answering back. This one, hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. If you rescue them once, you will have to do it again. Now, this one is often used in counseling when people are talking about abuse situations. You, you've heard the stories about the women who are, are being abused, and they continue in that situation because they're they're enabling their angry spouse to continue in that unhealthy behavior. Instead of letting them feel the full weight of the consequences, instead of maybe pressing charges, or instead of letting the law intervene. And I just want to say I hope there's nobody in here who's in that situation, but if you are in that situation, we really want to help you. You don't have to struggle on your own. But a hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. The Bible says that you reap what you sow. So if you put bad seed in the ground, you will get a bad crop. If you put good seed, healthy seed, you'll get a good crop. So if you rescue a hot-tempered person, they're just going to do it again. It's a good good thing to know. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. This one, this one is really significant. Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. You hear that? Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and you will endanger your soul. Ouch. That's, you think about that. And oftentimes in, again, in marriages, if one of the spouses is angry, rather than them causing the other one not to be angry, typically what happens is that it it incites the other person to anger as well. So if you're married, I'm not giving you an out. <laughs> I'm not telling you you can get out of it, but this is a significant thing to recognize in relationships. Anger is contagious. You guys notice that? Anger is really contagious. If you hang out with somebody that's always angry and always talking about other people or talking about their own situation or just being filled with rage, you notice it kind of stirs you up too? That's because the Bible says that if you befriend someone or associate with someone who's angry, you're going to learn their ways. It says in Proverbs twenty nine eleven, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Fools vent their anger. I, I remember back, it, I think it was like in, it was when my kids were little, so um, in the 90s, and there was this psychology that said that you should just let your two-year-old vent. They just have so much pent-up anger. Just, they're just frustrated. Just let them. Let them just vent their anger. And I'm telling you, you, could, you can watch it. No offense to the millennials, but you can kind of see, like, for example, what happens if they don't get their way You know what I'm saying? They demand. They're entitled. They feel like they, because they've been allowed to vent their anger, rather than training your two-year-old to have self-control. I'm just talking to the parents of little kids if it's not too late. But fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. In, In psychology, too, they used to say this. Oh, you just need to go hit a pillow, or, you know, you need to go... Get rid of some of that rage. That's just the opposite of what God's word says. God's word says, no, you need to have self-control. And I know that it's possible because it says in Psalm 37:8, stop being angry. Stop. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. That's intense, huh? Because when we feel angry, we, it's, we fuel it rather than going, no, the, the Lord is offering me a way out. Now, I want to address one particular thing. Um, when I talked about anger being a secondary emotion, I know that it can happen when you're really broken and really hurt. You will tend to act out in anger. You know? Hurt can be manifested in anger as a secondary emotion. One time uh, when Eric and I first got married, we went, we went to this worship seminar and we got in this huge argument because don't you always get in a huge argument right before you go do something spiritual? <laughs> and that's what happened. So we were going to this worship seminar and we got in this huge argument in the parking lot and um, he was kind of trying to diffuse the situation. And so he said, he said, let's pray. And when he reached for my hand, I was like, no! I mean, I just lashed out. And I just, it was like, it surprised both of us. We were kind of like, where did that come from? And it was at that moment that I recognized that I was like an animal caught in a trap. And the one who was coming to take that trap off was the one that I attacked. And I think that that happens so often when we're so broken and so hurt and so wounded emotionally that we attack anyone who comes close and wants to get near to us. Colossians 3, 7 through 10 says, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, behavior, slander, and dirty language, Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. This is talking, this is your sinful nature. Anger, rage, malice, slander, lying. That is our sinful nature. The Holy Spirit has promised us the fruit of self-control. He has promised us that he can set us free. It says, put on your new nature in verse 10. It says, be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. That's our hope. The closer that we draw near to God, the more freedom we are going to experience from anger. The more we're going to experience that deliverance. And remember, when, when God comes near to us, when we're the animal in that trap, that when God comes near to us, rather than than pushing him away or avoiding him or avoiding reading the word or avoiding worship because you don't want to let those emotions out. I just encourage you, allow the Lord in to heal your heart. And I'm not, I'm not going to try to give you some formula or some legalistic method, but I just want to say, if, you are, if you're really struggling with anger, examine what are you watching you know i mean there's a lot of violence that we subject ourselves to on netflix or movies or video games it's like just take a step back and say is there is this fueling my rage and i'm just saying you know because it says here put on a new nature be renewed as you learn to know your creator and be like him later on this summer we're going to talk about fasting and one of the things I think it's healthy to fast is like worldly movies. And, and again, I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm not saying you should never watch this. But the Bible does say all things are, are um, permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Examine if the things that you're watching are, are feeding your spirit. Put on your new nature. Become more like your creator. Become more like Christ and allow him in. And and again, maybe maybe the, your thing's music. I know that, you know, like some rap music is pretty violent. And and I know that, unfortunately, for a lot of people, the, the sound of it, the, the beat is really enticing. But then you start to hear what some of the lyrics are. And you just have to take a step back and go, is this feeding my sinful nature? You've heard the analogy of the two dogs, the black dog and the white dog. Whichever dog you feed is going to grow. So if you feed the the black dog, this isn't a racist joke, by the way. (laughs) But if you feed the black dog, the black dog is going to grow. If you feed the white dog, the white dog is going to grow. If you feed feed things that are healthy and things that are godly and things that are spiritual and life-giving, guess what? The sinful nature is going to be put off. But if you feed those things that feed your flesh, those those things that, because we are free in Christ, aren't we? We're free in Christ, right? Thank God. We're not under the law. However, there are things that are not beneficial for us. So maybe you need to fast from music, from worldly music. Maybe just just listen to Christian music. Listen to just worship music or something for a season. If you feel like you're struggling with anger, I'm just I just know this firsthand that those times where, I, where I'm really wrestling with, with just a lot of emotions or a lot of you know, frustration and impatience, which is another form of anger, a lot of times it's good for me to just put on worship music and just let that fill my house. James 1, 19 and 20 says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to get angry. It seems impossible, doesn't it, sometimes? For me, it seems, it seems really hard to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. But when we put on that new nature, when you, when you wake up first thing in the morning and invite the presence of the Lord and, and understand your own weaknesses. You know, we all have our own weak tendencies, And the Lord knows that, and yet he continues to pour out his love. It says that his kindness leads us to repentance. His kindness is what heals us and delivers us and sets us free. It says human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. You know, those times in our early years of marriage when Eric and I would have these just raucous arguments, these ridiculous fights, and we would just be saying all kinds of hurtful things to each other, and just bringing so much destruction to each other and to our relationship. You know, it was just—it was just. It was just um, sorry, I got distracted. It was so senseless. It was just so senseless. We 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 hurt each other so much, and thank God that He is a reconciler, and thank God that we were able to work through that stuff, but. In our early days, there was like something in us that thought that just because we were married that we had the right to say whatever we wanted and however we wanted to say it instead of honoring the Lord with our words in the way we we dealt with each other. So the other kind of anger that we were talking about is the internalized anger. And this is, as I confess, this was more my thing. This turns into bitterness, anxiety, fear, Feelings of control, you want to control depression. Psychology Today says when people internalize their feelings of anger, it causes them to turn against themselves, to become self-critical and self-hating. In this process, if this process reaches serious proportions, it plays a significant role in feelings of depression and worthlessness. It can lead to self-defeating, self-destructive, and at times suicidal behavior. Psychoanalysts have traditionally understood depression as being primarily due to anger directed against oneself. Have you guys heard this? Depression is really anger turned inward. Rage is anger turned outward, but depression is turned inward. And I think I think as women, and I could be wrong about this, but I think we struggle with this a little bit more than men do because... We, we don't want to be volatile with our words. We don't want to be violent. I mean, sometimes we do. But but I think that we, we let it eat away at us. We turn bitter. You know, I think that's one reason why women turn get controlling and why they get unforgiving and why they get resentful of their husbands and they close off their hearts from their husbands is because they that anger is turning in rather than than dealing with the issues and talking in a godly way about the issues they just stuff it and they just push it down this happens in friendships too and it ends up the friendships end up going separate ways but in Proverbs 21:19 it says it is better to live alone in the desert than with a quarrelsome complaining wife i didn't hear any men say amen that's good <laughs> You don't want to you want to feed that one just wink at me if you if that's an issue for you. <laughs> Isn't that so hard to hear, ladies? It's better for it would be better for your husband to go camping than it would be to live with you if you're a complainer. Ouch. The men are all looking at me like, "Yeah, keep going. Talk about this longer." <laughs> it would be better to live alone in the desert. It also says in Proverbs it would be better for them to build a little house up on the roof than to live with a nagging and complaining and quarrelsome wife. Ouch. And this is talking specifically about wives. You notice it's not saying this about husbands. But this it does say about husbands and wives. It says in Ephesians 4.26, it says, do not sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. How many of us have experienced that? We just go to bed so mad and we're plotting revenge and we have all of these all of these anxious thoughts and these feelings and then you wake up the next day and it's the first thing on your mind and you wake up and you're thinking about it again. It gives a devil a foothold. Go to bed forgiving. I'm not saying that you have to work everything out that night because some of you would never sleep, but you have, you have to have that attitude of forgiveness in the same way you've been forgiven to forgive others and to let other people off the hook and to recognize everything that you've been forgiven for. I think one of the best things that you can do if you're really ticked off is to start to thank God for all the things that he's forgiven you for. I think that's one of the best solutions for getting delivered from anger and unforgiveness toward another person is start to confess all the things that you've been set free from. So what makes us angry? What are some of the things that make us angry? The first thing is perceived rights. We think that we're owed something and it is being withheld from us. This is really evident on the, on the road, right, as we're driving. When people cut us off, when we're thinking, oh, it's supposed to be the, you know, merge principle that people haven't quite learned in Utah, (laughs) you know, where it's my turn, (laughs) you know, and we get so angry. Why do we get so angry? Because it was my turn, right? My turn. I was supposed to be the next one, and they cut me off. And then you you really just step back and think, okay, that's going to delay me like about three seconds. Is it really worth having a cardiac arrest over? I mean, I, I was thinking because you know you always have to you always have to live the message that you're going to deliver. So I knew going into this, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to have this issue." But driving yesterday, it was like several times people would cut me off. So many times I got tested in this, and I am happy to say that I just decided I'm not going to let this. I'm not going to let this get to me. So I just let people go in. But I think when we have that perceived right, or for example, if someone takes something of yours, have you ever had anything stolen from you? Oh my goodness. Isn't that such a feeling of violation? It makes us so angry, doesn't it? But when you get it in perspective, Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's. Everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. That's kind of convicting, huh? We don't really have any rights. If we're slaves to Christ, if we belong to Christ, we don't really have any rights. So that's one of the things that makes us angry is our perceived rights. I remember my pastor, Stuart, years and years ago, he taught a message. It was called dead men have no rights. And he talked about how as believers in Christ, we're we're dead. We're dead to ourselves. We're alive in him. We we belong to him, and therefore, we don't have any rights. Now, again, I'm not talking about enabling or codependency or anything like that or allowing yourself to be physically harmed or molested or anything. I am talking about giving up the right to, to merge when it's your turn, or giving up that place in line and letting someone go in front of you, or preferring your, your friend over yourself, or preferring another a stranger or your spouse. Remember, your true Christianity is displayed in your home. That's who you really are. You can come to church and you can be just the nicest person, but how do you treat your family? How do you treat your employees if you're a boss? How do you treat... Someone who's serving you. For those of you who aren't married, if you're dating someone and they diss on the waiter or waitress or they're rude to the waiter or waitress, major red flag. Because once they stop, you know, with like the, the lovey-dovey season, that's how they're going to start treating you. You can learn so much about a person when you go out to dinner with them. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. If we ever go out to dinner together, I'll be watching how you treat your waitress. (laughs) Another thing is our blocked goals. We have our minds set on something. We are going to do something. We're going to get there. We're going to do it. And something frustrates us. Either someone's late or we can't find our keys or we can't find our cell phone or something gets in the way and we get so angry get so frustrated if we have blocked goals but first corinthians 6 19 says don't you realize your body is a temple of the holy spirit who lives in you and was given you by god you do not belong to yourself you have been bought with a high price and when you think about it your life is not your own you've been bought with a price you you belong to christ and not that you just want to excuse everything and go oh, this must be god's will but to just get it in perspective Rather than allowing that anger to consume you, he's given us an out. He says, stop being angry. Just stop it. Don't go there. Don't let yourself go there. And sometimes it requires even doing a physical, okay, I'm going to breathe. I'm just going to, you know, you have to take some time and just feel yourself. And when you're doing that, say, Holy Spirit, breathe into me. Take the time and just say, Lord, I can feel it. My flesh is rising up. Just fill me with your spirit. Instead of reacting and responding quickly. You know, take the time and allow the Lord to give you self-control. It's one of the it's the fruit of the spirit. Self-control. Philippians 2 6 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think that equality with God is some, was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. That's convicting, isn't it? Jesus was himself God, but yet he didn't consider equality with God something to strive for, but he put off his own rights. He put off his, all of his majesty and his power and his sovereignty and his glory, and he became a servant. So we, too, are supposed to have that same attitude as Christ. So when you're angry, you have to wonder. Again, remember last week I said, it's not what would, what would Jesus do, but it's what would you do to Jesus? And the next time where you feel that temptation, where you want to say something acerbic or you want to say something cruel or mean or rude, think, would I say this to Jesus rather than the person that's standing in front of you? Another reason we get angry is because we have a skewed view or we have unmet expectations. We think that somebody should treat us a certain way and they don't. Or we think that... Um, someone is going to uh, do something for us and they don't do it. And then that skews our view of that person. And then if we don't deal with it, we become angry. We become bitter toward that person. Ephesians uh, 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness. Okay, get rid of all bitterness, all bitterness, all rage, all anger, Harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. It says, don't deal with this. Don't vent it. Don't dwell on it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. That's, that's intense. But if the Bible says we can do it, we can do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it in our flesh. Let me just tell you that. You cannot do this in your flesh. You need the Holy Spirit to do this for you. So what are the benefits of anger? Are there benefits? Because obviously if God who is good becomes angry, there must be some benefits. It says, he who is angry without cause shall be in danger, but he that is angry with cause shall not be in danger. For without anger, teaching will be useless, judgments unstable, and crimes unchecked. That's the righteous anger, the thing that makes us so angry when we find out about um, Jihadists going into to public places and attacking innocent people. That should make us angry. I mean, it makes the heart of God angry. Right? Am I right? That should make us angry. The abuse of children should make us angry. Mistreatment of animals. That should make us angry. But it's not talking about an anger that leads to sin. This is talking about an anger that leads to Protecting or defending or even just simply praying and crying out for justice, if there's not anything we can do proverbs thirty one eight says speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves, ensure justice for those who are being crushed this This always reminds me of the abortion issue, and i'm not I'm not saying this to condemn anyone if this is This is something that you've been through in your life because there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness for everything. But if there's anybody that can't speak up for themselves, it's the unborn. And the Bible says we need to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. I believe that we as Christians have to speak up. And I'm not saying be rude and militant and angry, but I'm saying speak up for what's right. Speak up for justice. I really believe that sinful anger is always rooted in self but righteous anger is always rooted in love. I'm going to say that again. Sinful anger is rooted in self but righteous anger is rooted in love. Jesus, it says in Mark 3, 5, looked around at them angrily and he was saddened by their hardened hearts. So the next uh, two passages that we, that we um, talked about here, or Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, is reconciling with your adversaries. So it says, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. And go and be reconciled to that person. And then come and offer your sacrifice to God. This is to say, don't come to church and act like you're just going to worship God and everything's okay. If you know that you're seething in your heart and you have anger or you have issues, do something about it. I've been in church services where people have stood up when they're hearing the teaching of this word, stood up and gone to someone with whom they knew they had ought and they made things right and they reconciled then and there before they continued in the service. It says, when you're on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. If that happens, you surely won't be free again until you paid the last penny. We have to reconcile. We have to live in the same forgiveness that was given to us when Jesus went to the cross for our sins. That same forgiveness has to be available through us. If we're disciples of Jesus, we have to get rid of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language and lying and all these things that are so destructive. And God has given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us the promise that we can walk in freedom. We can be free from these things. We don't have to be controlled and consumed by these things. I know right now, I know there's some of you are hopeless. You're feeling like that rut is so deep that you can never change. But I want to tell you, today is the day that the Lord wants to deliver you. He wants to set you free despite how you grew up, despite what you saw modeled, despite how you've acted and behaved. The Lord has freedom today. Romans 12.8 says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And for some of us, that means maybe getting some counseling, getting some Christian counseling. Maybe it means talking to it, to someone you trust in the Lord, someone who can walk with you through this. I know that it's a painful thing, but I promise you the Lord has freedom. Jesus has offered us that freedom. So Ira, you want to come on up? We're going to just take a time right now and um, just uh, allow the Holy Spirit to come and speak specifically to you. I know this is a heavy message. I know that it's it's painful. But I hope that you hear that it is a message of hope, that it is a message of freedom. Amen. Ira?
1: The Bible says, forgive as you have been forgiven. And so we're going to go to that source right now because that is always the issue. If you are walking in unforgiveness, it's because you have are not living in the forgiveness that God has given you because it is impossible to live in that forgiveness, not just intellectually, but in your soul and have unforgiveness in your heart towards someone else. And so there's two types of people here today, people that are not living in the forgiveness that you know that God has already given you. And I want to encourage you today, To enter into it, not just an intellectual understanding of this forgiveness, but the depth and the riches and the indescribable love that God has for you. Because when you have that and you are so full with the love of God, there is no room for unforgiveness in your soul. There's just no room. The second person today is maybe someone who doesn't know the Lord and you have not, you have not had that, that opportunity to experience what it is to be forgiven by God. It is the most radical, life-changing thing to experience the forgiveness of God. All of us have sinned, and because of that, we are condemned to death according to the Scripture. There's only one thing that can happen, and that is that sin would be removed. And the way it was removed is that Jesus Christ took our sin upon himself on the cross. He who was, had no sin took our sin and placed it on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And if that's you today, you have that opportunity to experience the forgiveness of God. So we want to just pray right now. Lord, we come before you today. And if if you're here today and and you have things that that you've been holding on to in unforgiveness that that you feel like you cannot get rid of that's just been rooted in your soul. I just want you to raise your hands. There's a lot of pain in this world, a lot of hardship, a lot of a lot of painful situations. Good. Lord, right now we just come before you and we ask that the flood of the love of Jesus Christ would fill our souls right now. We'd be filled to the fullness of Christ and have absolutely no space in our souls, in our hearts, in our minds for even a drop of anger anymore. For your goodness is so Wonderful. The things of this world look strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. That sinful thing that happened to me looks strangely dim and distant and and useless right now. In the light of your love and your grace, fill us with your grace today. Can you release that bitterness right now to the Lord in, in the presence of his Amazing, awesome, indescribable love. Release it right now in Jesus' name. Just release it. Thank you, Lord.